Hello, I'm Rachel England and welcome to Brain Yapping, the podcast where comedian and actual qualified neuroscientist Dr. Dean Burnett gets put through his paces with brain-related questions by me, not a neuroscientist, without any advance warning or prior preparation, in a bid to demonstrate that science isn't always as slick as it seems. And a quick extra note of admin on this episode from me, Trent, one of the producers of the Cosmic Shambles Network, an annoying voice you're no doubt familiar with if you listen to Book Shambles or Science Shambles or any of our other podcasts. Unfortunately, when Dean and Rachel were recording this episode over in Cardiff, uh, Dean's mic had a few issues during the record. We have cleaned the audio up as best as possible, but just to let you know, there might be a couple of moments during this episode where the audio is not as crystal clear as you are used to. But don't stress, the microphone has been, uh, I was going to say fixed, but it hasn't, it's been replaced. So everything will be fine again next week. And to be honest, it's largely fine this week. We're just letting you know so you don't think your headphones or speakers are on the fritz. Okay, uh, right. Uh, Brain up in episode four. If I'm not mistaken. Four. Four already. Yeah, age four is uh, apparently one of the most informative years for brain development. You know, is what it? What happens with brain four tends to be more. Uh, is a bigger factor in how you end up developing later in life, according to a lot of a big study I read a while ago. Really? So the fourth year mm. is arguably one of the the most important one. You well, you could argue. I mean, it's not like make or break. It's not if you have a bad. A year or a year, four years old, and you're doomed forever. It just, it'll be slightly be. harder to pull it back from that point on. Okay. Uh, so, like, if this, like, like if this one goes badly, I don't think we should just cancel it. Just persevere. We'll just have to claw our way back. <laughs> yeah, just, it'll be an uphill struggle, but we could do it. No pressure then. Yeah. Okay, great. So, how are you anyway? I'm tired, as you may have guessed <laughs> from that opening volley of, of uh, yeah, random observations. I've been to London a lot in the last couple of weeks since we last spoke, and... Uh, yeah, late night, got back at 2am, I was say 2am this morning, uh, which, you know, 2am normally is in the morning. There's a Mike Oldfield song which has the lyric 4am in the morning, it always annoys me. That's oh right, nice. is that a bit like the ATM machine? Yes. Or a yeah. pin number? Yeah, but I think more more overt is in 4am in the morning. Well, yes, ATM, you might not 4 know. in the morning in the morning. Yeah. yeah, you might not know the acronym ATM, but you definitely know what 4am means. Yeah, sure. Is my opinion. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, tired. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm I'm doing fine. I'm good. Um, nothing very exciting to report. Although last time we spoke, we were talking about spiders, I believe. Yes. Um, and right next to my front door, I've got this little outhouse sort of shed mm. bit. And um, there's a spider that lives in one of the cracks above it, which is fine. And I respect its, <laughs> you know, its yeah, yeah. choice to be there. However, it's starting getting a bit... Arrogant. Okay. Uh, so, whereas I could usually open the front door and it would just be in the corner, I'd be like, right, got my eyes on you, um, walking sort of around the corner so I don't have to, you know, fear that you're going to drop on me or anything. It started to branch out a little bit now. Mm. Um, and it is venturing further and further away. And then when I went out to look for it last night, I stuck my head around the corner and it wasn't in the corner, it was actually on the door. Therefore, several inches away from my actual face. That did not go down well. <laughs> and then I went away and I was thinking about what we talked about last week. And I actually got more angry at the spider because how dare he mm. or she 
don't want to assume the gender of this. Tricky to tell the spiders, yeah. Um, yeah. Infiltrate my tranquil space. Yes, that. Um, I'm guessing the spider did not do that with a conscious forethought well, of. Well, I don't know, yeah. do I? I mean, it, it may well have done. So we we're not on good terms now, me and the spider. <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't be, would you? You're not. A, I think you are not predisposed to them anyway. So, if anything, you're the guilty party here because you have expressed prejudice beforehand. You're right. I need to go away and and reflect on that. Yes. Okay. So today, mm. um, sort of following on from your "I'm extremely tired" theme, <laughs> we're good, it's good. going to Stick talk to what we know. Going to talk about time. Okay. Now that's obviously a rather expansive topic. Certainly is. Could be here a while. Yep. I think that the real ins and outs of time, as humanity perceives it, probably beyond the scope of our ability. Y- yes, I would hope so. However. Narrowing it down, talking about time in terms of the way the brain perceives it, Mm. uh, relying on cues such as light and clocks. Right. And this is born of a conversation I had with my sister recently, who is travelling back to New Zealand from the UK. Right. Which is basically as far away as you can go before you start coming back on yourself. Yes, that's as far away as you can get on this planet. Yeah. So, yes. Um, And she obviously has lots of different transfers and stopovers and she's in an airport and she's FaceTime me and she's like I have no idea what's going on out there mm. I'm looking at my watch and it's telling me this one time but I've obviously had to contend with time zones I can't see a window so I don't know if it's light mm. or if it's dark out and I feel all over the place um, so how important is being able to see outside in our understanding of the passage of time Right. Yeah, first off, uh, easy answer, very. Sure. Uh, it's really quite handy. There is actually, I've read a claim that when we invented artificial light as a, as a society, it messed up our sleeping patterns, something terrible. Okay. Which is interesting. I mean, we seem to have got a handle on it now because, you know, I can I can sleep. My, my son still likes to sleep with the light on in his room, a little night light. Mm. So he clearly likes a bit of a background light. But it's got to be... Subdued light, you know, it's, it's very hard to sleep still when it, like, you know, you've got a big fluorescent bulb of your head just glaring in your face, getting all up in, the, all up in, all up in your eyes like Clippy. <laughs> I mentioned a Clippy there, a lot of respect for the Clippy. Looks like you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like some help with that? Yeah. I know a guy. But yeah, it is really important, like the, the circadian rhythms, like the, the, yeah. the way the brain processes uh, rhythms and sleep cycles. It's really, really quite delicate, as your sister probably has found out. That, that is no point of no, there's no point to jet lag. That is why it happens. Like it's not a, an evolved mechanism to think, you know what, we want to discourage our species from flying. Let's let's make <laughs> yeah. them hate it with a passion. I mean, in an evolutionary context, <laughs> I can see the benefits there. Mm. But does that account for the fact that airports are essentially just lawless places then? Because yeah, nobody knows what's going on, what time it is, where they're supposed to be, which is why people are having pints at seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that... People just sleep on the floor. You can wear whatever you want. I was actually, I did. I took part in a um, BBC Radio 3 discussion about this. The, the thing about the in-between spaces. Right. Uh, places which have no sort of specific function or, or like I said, no, no specific time attached to them. No, like, like waiting rooms is an obvious one. Yeah. Like train station platforms, airport lounges, these places which like... You, you don't go there for you no. Know, that's not. It's never a destination. That no. place. It's I'm here because I want to be somewhere else. 
It's like a so, weird limbo. Yeah, limbo. That's probably that's the, that is the word I was looking for. Or sort of weird sort of purgatory type place. But yeah, like, well, more like a, more like purgatory, I'd say. Yeah, it's yeah. an airport lounge. But yeah, it feels like it's there forever, but it um, often it can be depending on what time your flight takes off or when it actually does take off. Yeah. Uh, have you flown from Cardiff much? I want to give a shout out to Cardiff Wales Airport here. Um, I actually flew <laughs> from there um, to Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago, and I'm flying from there tomorrow mm. after Cork. Now, obviously, those are both quite short hops, so they don't involve much in way of waiting around. Mm. But I have been in airports before that have involved several hours. and Yeah, because my, my family flew from Cardiff to the Dominican Republic a few years back and there was a massive delay on the plane because apparently uh, well, the plane landed and the passenger getting off, a big, big rucksack tore a door handle off. Oh my God! <laughs> and because of regulations, they had to get the exact same part to replace it, but they had to fly one over from Germany. And so they were delayed by about nine hours, which is a lot. And... They'd already landed. The plane had landed. It's meant to be sort of cleaned up and then turn around and go to the Oh, American. I see, yeah. But because someone just tore a door handle off with this big, big rucksack, they had to delay the plane by nine hours. Well, I mean, I've got a lot of questions about that. Like, for example, the durability of airplane doors. Yeah, apparently it was a big bag. But this, this is what they told them. I, I don't think anyone saw this. That is, you know... No one came to my family and said, look, here's what's happened. Here's the handle. You can see yourself. <laughs> it's proof. We're not making it No, up. they were told us like weeks later when they demanded to know why they were left. But Cardiff Airport, I mean, I'm proud of my home city, but it is not a good place to spend a prolonged period of time. There's not a lot going on. No, nobody wants to be there. <laughs> no, but it's it's a tiny airport and it's really hard to find any. I, I went to Edinburgh a few months back from Cardiff. And I was waiting there for 35 minutes and I was bored out of my mind as well. <laughs> it shouldn't be possible. I had my phone. I, I, I could have walked, I could have just browsed the bookshop and no, I just found it boring as soon as I got through security. So yeah, th- these places do play with a sense of time and space as well. And yeah, so circadian rhythms are really important. Like it's the cycle of like melatonin is a big part of it. Mm. Like the, the sleep, the sleep hormone, which you can buy over the counter is fairly safe stuff, you know, so it does. Does can- it work? I mean, is it as good as the actual thing it is the actual thing um, oh okay stuff you buy, it is just how do they make it then i think you think i don't think it's that complex a chemical i think you can just they don't like extract it from sleeping people like. i'm gonna say no but I mean, i'll be honest nothing you mentioned it i can't i can't promise that answer is that big farmer <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's like the bft in reverse like it comes out of everyone's room in the night to them and just yeah. siphons out of your skull with a big trumpet and then um, I just read BFG with my son, so uh, that's, that's very at the forefront of my mind. It, yeah, but so it does seem to sort of, you know, light levels are what causes the pineal gland to secrete melatonin mm. at higher or lower rates. So when it's light outside, it sort of stops the secretion of um, melatonin from that part of your brain, the middle bit, the pineal gland, which is like a big uh, gland which controls a lot of hormones in the body. Right. Uh, but the more melatonin in your body, the sleepier you get. So daytime is very low, low level, and when the sun goes down, in evolutionary sense, it stops the inhibition of the hormone being secreted. So suddenly it sort of pumps up a lot more. So when it's dark, you suddenly get a lot more tired because you've got this more more melatonin in your body, and that's fine. But then you you have a certain cycle. So like um, you get used to that, like uh, at this time of day, uh, say like midday, you you know that uh, your, your body's used to the rhythm of. There's no melatonin in, well, there's barely any late moments. I'm not tired. 10 o'clock at night, there's melatonin here. I am tired now. So your brain gets in a nice cycle of the circadian rhythms. When you fly to a different country, so you land, say, in Brazil or something, 
and you get out and your body is saying to you, right, it's nine o'clock at night. You open, you get, you get off the, the get off the, the airport and like, carnival, sunshine, hey! And like, this, this is, this is not consistent with this my is rhythm. Too much. Yeah. So, well, I've got to keep going now, apparently, but no, I'm tired. And then, so, you know, it completely whacks out your brain's existing rhythms. I keep saying rhythm a lot, but, uh, that, that is the term. <laughs> so I have no, I have no recourse for a different one. Can your body tell the difference between natural light and, and artificial light, I think so, but only to a certain extent. Because, like I say, the like people in um, like hotter countries, they tend to have a siesta, you know, the middle of the day so mm. because it's too hot outside. You know, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. That's, sure. Uh, actually, <laughs> an aside, it was only like this year that I learned the, the other half of that quote. For years, I've been saying, you know, only mad dogs and Englishmen are just saying it out of context. I have, I have no idea what it meant. Right. What's I, the rest of the quote? I, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Oh, I see. Yeah. Right. You thought it was just. I thought, I thought it was sort of a cliche about, you know, people. Huh? I, oh, I, I, right. I've been, oh, no. I've been using it. <laughs> it's completely the wrong context. Pretty much it's all in all life. your books. It's in your thesis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It's it, a lie. It was the title of the third book until I managed to get that mixed. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so you know, one of those you just you, know, you hear things people say. And you say, yeah, I, I, I'll go with that. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Again, as an aside, um, uh, I saw a really good post online recently about um, these common sayings and how we've kind of hijacked them incorrectly. Yeah, I think I saw something similar. Um, there's one, you know, the uh, very common phrase: um, "Jack of all trades, master of none." Yeah, and so that's supposed to basically insinuate that it's you know. It's better to be good at one thing than to sort of yeah, be good yeah, at it. It's, it's, it's a derogatory description we, as we use it. But the actual full saying is, um, jack of all trades, master of none, is better than... Um, oh, fail. I can't remember <laughs> what it is now yeah. off the top of my head, but it can it continues. And so hmm. it's actually the, the real, the true insinuation is that it's better to be a little bit good at lots of things... Hmm. Than to just sort of be good at nothing in any substantial way. Yeah. Um. So it, it kind of completely inverts the entire saying, but this is completely irrelevant since I can't even remember how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So never mind. Um. So the sleep thing. So yeah. So first off, we do seem to have. Again, I'm not sure how potent it is, but we artificial light does tend to throw off our sleep a bit. Because I, w- I went to Vegas last year, hmm. and the casinos in Vegas are famous for having no windows, no clocks, no natural light, and they obviously just chuck in loads of oxygen to keep you awake. Hmm. And if you go out drinking in a Vegas casino, and you don't look at your watch, you will have no concept of time whatsoever until you eventually check out the time somewhere. And before you know it's six o'clock in the morning, and your brain, or my brain at least, was just completely like, what? I've, I've heard people say that a similar thing when they go, they've gone to Vegas and even like, there's not much outside anywhere. Like if you go to these places, the, the, the whole ceiling is huge, mm. huge rooms, huge buildings, with huge Massive. like neon lights, studded ceilings. And so you, you, it's sort of like, you feel like you're outside when you're not. Yeah. Because uh, there's such a space there, but you don't actually, you're not. So yeah. you don't get the normal natural rhythms. I think it's slightly related, but there's a thing called fascination, which a lot of, New robots tend to focus on this, and that this is why we like to have green plants in our home. We like to live near green greenery because mm. when we're staring at natural scenes, it does relax our brain. We, we can focus on it. it; it draws our attention, but in a passive way. So it's sort of like 
you know, you can let your mind wander or let your attention wander. So the brain's actually sort of not doing much work to stare at plants and things. It's a reassuring presence in an evolutionary sense. So green things, life, okay, resources yeah. are here. Let's let's relax in this environment because it is good. And as opposed to city life, where like lights and adverts and honking horns, and mm. it's all very ah in your face. Look at me, look at me, look at me. It's and a lot that's, of stimulation. That, yeah, that, that's there? exhausting. So. The, so there is, the brain cle- clearly seems to be able to tell the difference between certain types of stimulation, even though we wouldn't necessarily, like a green thing, it's like a green poster, that would not necessarily be as rewarding, but the brain seems, is seemingly able to recognise natural things as opposed to non-natural things. Mm. Exactly how it does that, I should probably look that up before I <laughs> speculate further, but that is something which seems to be there. So I, I would say, yes, there is potential for being able to recognise light, you know, natural light versus non-natural light. Because you know, it's also the UV element as well. And mm. it, light has a certain quality. Like when you, if you've been outside during an eclipse, like the light just goes really weird. Yeah, it does. It's, it's really, very unsettling. Yeah, it's when the birds stop making noise. That's always really freaky. Like, <laughs> it's it, the end. Yeah, and then they go, oh, 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 no, be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> unusual. Yeah. Be quiet until it goes away. <laughs> Whatever this is, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're annoying it. So yeah, so it, that is definitely a thing that happens in that um, natural stimulation does tend to uh, keep us in sync, I suppose. Like we have a, a specific rhythm we should be... I say rhythm again. I should say rhythm at every very set point. So I achieve a rhythm whenever I say rhythm. And that would be... a poem uh, out of it. Yeah, maybe like... Uh, just maybe that could be your next book. The, the rhythm poem. Just the rhythm of the brain. Oh, I see, right. Yeah. Rhythmic. Well, oh, brain waves. Those are rhythms, you know, they... they um, Maybe you just give up writing and become a slam poet. Spoken word, rhythm, flow, okay, brainwaves. You, you, know, you know spoken word stuff. What is slam poetry or a poetry slam? I, I'm, I'm, I've heard the term a lot and I have no idea what that actually means. A poetry slam? Yeah. Um, well, I've never done a poetry slam, but my understanding of it is it's kind of like... Well, no, I think it can take very... I think it can take different forms. It can either be like a kind of open mic poetry thing hmm. where people just perform... Or it can be like a rap battle. Right. It's like a poetry off. <laughs> right. Because I, I heard it, I went to a spoken word night once as an act, and they said this, we're going to have a poetry slam, which I thought what meant like a poetry rap battle type thing. Right. But there's only one person taking part. So I was thinking, well, she's definitely going to win. That's, cause, cause, that's not really a poetry well, slam, that, that is was, it? That was my take on the matter, but it's, it's art stuff. So I thought, well, maybe I just don't know. <laughs> Maybe this is a statement. So it's not for me to yeah. question. Maybe this is like, ah, oh, non-violence is the answer. Like, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So, but again, like, like speculation there. No, that's no, not poetry slam. Yeah. So, yeah, the sleep stuff is... I mean, do you have trouble sleeping ever? Um, Not so much. I, I used to have more problems sleeping. I, I'm just... My brain, I, I frazzle it so much throughout the day that by the time I get into bed, it's just like, no, this has to be the end now. Um, I did go through a period of struggling to sleep, interestingly, when I was on my phone at night, Mm, because I do tend to relax in the evenings by scrolling through memes, Mm. mindless uh, social media, you know, absorption. I'm not even really processing. I'm just staring at my tiny rectangular screen, but it helps me to relax. Yeah. And I used to have more problems going to sleep than I do now since I've started using an app that kills the blue light. Yeah, my phone's got the same setting. I keep that on all the time. Yeah. Because, back to the original point, blue light blue light waves has actually been shown to suppress the release of melatonin more than other types okay. of light. So if that is like, you know, obviously outside light comes from the sky, 
which is you no, know, it does, Rachel. Don't, don't laugh at me. Light this is, comes from the sky. Well, the sun, which is in the sky. You know, it, it, it's above us. Neuroscience oh. isn't all the science, obviously. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so tired. Light comes from the sky. I thought you were doubting me. This is going well. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, blue sky. You know, the, yeah. we were used to seeing blue light as a sign of daytime. Yeah. So I can see how, as in an evolutionary mechanism, okay, blue light, daytime, don't go to sleep because things can see you now. There's a lot of light around. So clearly the brain does respond to certain light levels or certain types of light, which are more present during the day. So if like natural light versus artificial light, like this fluorescent bulb above us now, I'm not sure how much blue light that's emitting. But you know, the phone screens obviously have a lot of them because they need to render all colours all the time. Mm. So yeah, so there, there is that could be a, a mechanism for how the brain tells normal light from natural light from artificial light and so on. So, assuming that the brain then is obviously stimulated by light of some kind, mm. natural or artificial or otherwise, and that helps to tell us, okay, it's time to be awake. Mm. What about um, people that work night shifts? Yeah. So, um, our mutual friend, Matt, for example, mm-hmm. until recently was doing a lot of night shifts and his sleeping patterns were kind of crazy mm-hmm. um, because obviously he would go to work in the day and then it would be nighttime outside, but he'd be there in the office with the buzzing fluorescent light staring at a computer screen. Mm. Night would happen, he'd come out, it was day again. So basically he was never seeing nighttime. Mm. What kind of impact does that have on your brain in the long term? Uh, if you can maintain a regular rhythm, as far as I'm getting it's that word again. Ding, ding. <laughs> enjoying it. Um, if you can maintain a regular cycle, schedule, let's yeah. go with that one, that's another one. Sure. You do seem able to click into it. So if you're on like night shifts for six months, is it? It seems to be dictated by hormone secretion levels. So say if you the first time you do it, you're up all night because you're on night shift. You know you feel like shit. Mm. Uh, then you sleep the next day because those hormone levels have built up. You can sleep in it. It's like like this in the be all and end all. It's not the full on. You know, if it's dark, you can only sleep when it's dark and vice versa. Because I slept when it's light. I got two small children. You sleep when you can. It's, yeah. uh... Survival. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you can fit into a rhythm. It's the main thing, or the main problem seems to occur when that's not reliable enough. Like doctors, sometimes they're on night shifts, sometimes mm. they're not. And so if you only got like a month of night shifts, then you're off again. Then you have to go through that whole process again. Mm. And then you know, a month that you do it back on it, you have the whole process again. And lack of sleep or lack of reliable, consistent, solid sleep does seem to scramble. Your brain's ability to do things, it suppresses your cognitive reserves. You are less able to focus, your mind wanders more, you have less energy, you're less, you, know, you, you can't make, you can't react as quickly. So, you know, the worst people to make do, do irregular night shifts are people in charge of other people's lives. Mm. But we do it all the time because that's, you know, that's great, that's a really good idea. And you know, there, there are so many things throughout history which have been attributed to poor sleep in the people responsible. Like, I've seen a lot of reports say that the Three Mile Island nuclear disaster was because they were working around the clock to build something and the engineers weren't getting enough sleep. Uh, the, the, the Challenger shuttle explosion, I've seen that blamed on engineers not oh, enough really? sleep. Uh, so, because you can't focus, you can't, you know, you're supposed to be able to t- pay attention to every specific detail. Mm. And if you don't have enough sleep, you just start rambling on and on about something which occurred to you just now and you, you know, you say rhythm a lot and <laughs> yes. you won't be able to... Light comes from the sky. <laughs> it does. <laughs> In a sense. But but it is, you know, it's really important to get enough sleep. And another thing which I try to raise a lot is that when you hit your teens, 
That's when your brain goes through the process of uh, maturing. Uh, you know, you're, all the stuff you accumulate as a kid is like reorganized and a lot of it's got rid of because you don't need it. Your brain becomes more efficient. That whole process is quite laborious and you, you know, the brain needs more downtime. So when you're a teenager, you need to sleep more. Mm. Uh, also at different times because you know, your, 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 your hormone cycle's gone berserk anyway. So sometimes like you end up staying awake till midnight and then sleeping until 10. Mm. Teenagers need like an, at least an extra hour of sleep by most measurements. Okay. So the worst thing you can do to a teenage brain is to make them wake up early every day and perform cognitive and, feats. So yeah, it, go it, to school and think about things. Yeah, and, yeah. and tell them, oh, by the way, this is really important now. Like this, this point here, this is when you need to be as alert and sharp as possible. Okay. It does seem a little bit unfortunate that we've structured our whole educational system around that. Well, it seems unfortunate that we've structured so many things around it. As you mentioned, you know, um, doctors having to do night shifts, mm. people that are working on spacecrafts, doing crazy sh- sleep patterns and then the kids are being dragged out of bed for school the whole system seems a bit haywire when the human endeavor basically hinges on our ability to do anything upon which hinges you know the our propensity for good sleep so you say obviously the the teenagers need more sleep yeah um that's understandable isn't it? they're they're growing brains are developing when you get to adult stage what governs, what factors govern how much sleep you need? My mother, for example, survives on five hours sleep, which seems crazy to me because I, I need at least eight. Mm. And then, of course, you have all of these political figures, you know, mm. some with questionable leadership skills, mm. arguing that they only need two or four hours sleep a night. Yeah. It's so, a sort of achievement, isn't it? Like, uh, yeah. I need an hour sleep a night. Well, you're probably a psychopath, and that's fine. <laughs> well, if, the, if there's that causal link there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what what factors govern the differences between people and their, their specific needs? It does seem to be a genetic thing to it. Like some people don't need as much sleep. It's simply that that straightforward. Um, again, what rhythms you've introduced into your own development. If you've always got very little sleep, then you probably will be able to... You, the brain and body just adapts eventually. So, well, this is what I've got. So, well, fine, uh, I guess I can work with this. Mm. It's very much individual variation. It's one of those things which some people can get away with. It. Also, age is a big factor because, as in my understanding, a lot of sleep is governed by the serotonin system. And as you get older, this this system just gets a bit worn out. You know, it atrophies a bit because organs do. So, when you're older, you don't actually get as much sleep because the, the part of the brain which regulates sleep isn't as potent as it once was. Right. But then lack of sleep does tend to destabilise your moods a lot too. So like the classic old grumpy old man, grumpy old woman thing Mm. could be a factor involved there. So because old people don't get enough sleep, they get a lot more grumpy and then they, you know, want to take us out to the European Union and stuff like that, which is... (laughs) And then no one will ever have any sleep because we'll be working every goddamn hour. (laughs) Okay, so people... People's requirements for sleep, you say, is kind of genetic. Does that is that also govern things like whether you're a night owl or an early bird? Because yes. that's all circadian rhythms as well, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but also you know, if you, it's quite easy to influence those or like to accidentally alter them. Okay. Because I had a friend who was uh, in the university who was an um, enthusiastic marijuana user. Right. And sure. would stay up until like five a.m. playing PlayStation and smoking, and then he'd sleep for like. It's eight hours, and he had a job as a pizza delivery guy, and he got fired from being late for work several times. Even though he started work at six in the afternoon, 
Right. Because he slept in repeatedly, which they were like, how is that even vaguely possible at six in the afternoon? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't bring out of bed. When did you get out of bed in time? What's the matter with you? And it, it, it was, it wasn't lying. He genuinely was oversleeping. And then, because you can, like, if you have to, mm-hmm. you do. Because if you, your job says you, you got to stay here until six in the morning. Well, right, but I guess I have to, I'll get fired. Mm. And then you get tired and go home and sleep then. Mm. Yeah, so your body will adapt and just jet lag like already lasts a couple of days normally because mm. the body's, the brain's going, all right, so this is midday now, is it? Okay, well, I can work with that. And then you get back into it and then you get on the plane and come out, come home and he's like, nah, what are you doing? <laughs> I just did this. <laughs> well, that, that is basically what happens every time you do the whole night shift or jet lag thing. The brain's going, what the hell, man? <laughs> How many times have we got to go through this? <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> okay, but work demands aside, some people do just naturally seem to perform better in the morning. Yeah, or, a morning person. Or are, yes. myself, for example, I'm more creative and I feel more gung-ho about pretty much everything in the evening. Yeah, same. Um, and I can keep working until late in the evening, hmm. whereas first in the morning I'm not as productive as I could be. Yeah. So is that just a genetic thing? Or? I think it is an individual difference thing because my wife's always been a morning person, mm. and I was always I always work better in the evenings. And so when we first got married, then and lived together, that was okay because you know, she can wake up and leave me in bed, whereas I can stay up and not disturb her. Mm. But now we've got two kids who both seem to have inherited her morning <laughs> tendencies. Lucky go you. now, I'm a morning person too, just by default, because because you've got no choice. Exactly, like. Hey! Oh, good. 6.38. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> what a like, treat. You know, I actually did think 6.38 was a lie-in for several months when that was, oh, wow, the sun's nearly up. That's amazing. <laughs> it, but it, but it, you know, some people just are that way. It's like, again, different hormone levels. It could be a little, little squirt of melatonin at one point. Could shift. That's not funny. Come on. <laughs> no, it's, it's just a squirt of melatonin. This is part of our previous conversation about how they're just extracting them from sleepy, <laughs> right. extracting it from sleepy people. <laughs> some sort of, sort of like some, sleepy essence. <laughs> some sort of weirdly genetically modified cow with udders on their head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, will ironically give people nightmares, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but it, it does seem to be an individual variation thing. Uh, what sort of, I guess, diet can affect it too. Like alcohol makes you feel sleepier, but it's not really good sleep you're having because you tend to wake up a lot more then because mm. you the alcohol byproducts being shunted into your system and they're hitting the brain the brain's going well, what the hell is this now and then you wake up a bit because your, your body's doing all this crap and then you need the loo and stuff and and then you're dreaming that someone's yeah. bought you some water but no one's bought you any water <laughs> and, and you're, you're dying of thirst <laughs> and, then, and then you're mad at that person who didn't bring you any water <laughs> even though there's no one there and that then you get confused and did it off topic but i don't ever tell you about um well for a few years, I was stalked by the set of Doctor Who through Cardiff. Everywhere I lived, Doctor Who ended up nearby sure. in some capacity. And... Yeah, they just want to be near the leader. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> this guy's an actual Doctor. He must know what's going on. Yeah. But the one time I lived, uh, I don't know if you watch Doctor Who, do you, the latest series? I mean, I am I like it well enough, Yeah, I you're suppose. aware. Of it. You yeah. won't necessarily sh- shut it off straight away if it's on. But, no. But in the, <clears throat> I think it's the second David Tennant series, they go to the 50s. There's an episode about televisions taking people's faces. Spoiler warning. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they created a whole 50s street. And I lived next door to that street. Are you thinking of Black Mirror? Uh, no, no. It's, just, <laughs> it's called The Idiot's Lantern, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, that so. does sound like a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> Quite possibly. Um, but I lived next door to the street. And I was doing my PhD at the time. So I was in the student bar often enough. 
And I was about half eleven, I got I was walking home quite drunk, and I walked through the street, and I was just like, I had my head down, headphones in, I looked up, and I goes, whoa, I was like, how far have I been walking, Christ, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, I walked back in time. And then I, yeah. then I saw, like, a camera, crew. oh, shit, I'm on, I'm on a set, oh, I better... But it was next to my street, so I, like, I had to just, I know, it just muscle memory takes over, you walk down this path. Yeah. So I went to my house, <clears> and went to spend my bed and went to bed. But my bedroom was, like, front of the house, overlooking... The street, but I just walked through uh, right. filming. So I got up for like 2 a.m. Oh, I, I need the loo because I've had several beers. Went to the loo, came back, but in the interim, they started filming and they're filming a night scene. Obviously, they film at 2 a.m. So there's a huge spotlight outside oh, my window. <laughs> and I just walked in and there's this light blazing through my window. And I'm thinking, how long was I pissing? <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. Where am I? How big is my bladder? Because after my stood there pissing for like six hours. Yeah. What the hell? Is that the sun? Yeah, generally thought it was, is it dawn? Oh, no, mighty. Uh, oh, right. I thought, can you have a blackout whilst urinating? Is that a thing? I mean, yeah. as far as I'm aware, no. But well, it is possible, but it doesn't mean you just stay pissing for like six solid hours. Does it mean that it's not like Bernard's watch, which is like frozen in time? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that actually happens. It's, uh, it's more of a, you know, a gap in the memory thing. It doesn't actually yeah. cause you to enter stasis. So basically, the moral of the story is hmm. it's important to see outside. Yes, that does tend to help. Natural light is the way to go. Um, and so given the time of year it is now, people obviously... Seasonal defective disorder is mm. sort of becoming more prevalent, and that is because of a decrease in natural light. Generally, yeah, it does. It's also it's also a sort of um, contextual thing too. Like when there's not enough sunlight around, it does tend to you, you stay indoors more because mm. there's not enough light, and therefore you're more you end up slightly more isolated. You end up you know with exposed to more central heating, like your skin goes a bit drier. Yeah, it, it's a it's. Just the turn into like a husk. Things, yeah, you, you get all dried out and hermity husk. And yeah, I think, but also you, you're much more restricted. You know, if it's a horrible raining outside, you don't go outside. You don't go and do stuff. You know, yeah. see people. And obviously, these aren't necessarily going to tip you over the edge into a full blown mental episode. But if, if you're already in a sort of fragile state, this could this little this will compound matters. Mm. So you know, just that weather does tend to. But then there are some studies which say people are more. Um, can be more affected by you know depressive disorders in the summer uh, because you know, obviously you know, there's far more natural light you don't get as much sleep and sleep and depression are quite quite interlinked mm. and people with depression don't sleep as much it's it's, it's a known thing it's not a cause or effect I don't know but it is there's definitely a link there so people with you know, if you can start sleeping better then that does tend to mitigate the effects of depression and so on so yeah so it's all it's all obviously it's the brain it's all connected in some way shape or form but there is clearly a lot of linkage between sleeping and how your brain works as evidenced by uh your current mood yeah i'm a bit slightly giddy now <laughs> well thank you very much for that dean no um, problem I will. Uh, I'll. I'll leave it there, so you can go to bed and wake up in about five minutes' time when your kids jump in on you, <laughs> yeah. and you can enjoy the day again yeah. and get some of that lovely natural light. Yeah, look outside, Doctor Who's there again. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, time for another seven-hour piss. <laughs> and so that was another episode of Brain Yap in the podcast. Uh, exciting news for any listeners who are interested. Uh, we now have an email address: brainyappinpod at gmail dot com. Should you wish to contact us directly. 
Or if Twitter is your preferred medium, at BrainYapping. That's at BrainYapping, all one word, obviously. Uh, so yeah, so for more about myself, you can go to deanmanette.com. And for Rachel, it's rachelengland.co.uk. Uh, my books, The Idiot Brain and The Happy Brain, are available now. Just Google them, maybe you find them somewhere. And, well, hopefully see you next time. Bye-bye. If you'd like to read the Brain Yapping blogs, go to cosmicshambles.com forward slash blogs, where you'll find Brain Yapping plus lots of other exclusive science blogs from the likes of Helen Chesky, John Butterworth, Susie Gage, Ginny Smith, and others. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it on social media, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as that does really help us out. If you'd like to support the show and everything we make at Cosmic Shambles, you can pledge via Patreon for as little as $1 a month. There's lots of great reward tiers available too. Go to patreon.com forward slash bookshambles or follow the links from cosmicshambles.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.